Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Along about October, November, December, I begin to sit down and map out where we're going to go over the next year and begin to plan series. This series was not on my map, by the way, as we began, uh, as I began to map out the, um, the year. But about two months ago, I really felt like that the Lord spoke to me and said, we need to deal with this topic, um, and, and, and here we are, and I'm very excited about it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, talk to you uh, specifically about this concept, the enemy appeal. Enemy appeal. Now, before we get into the specifics of what that means and what the implications are for us, I want to take just a few moments, if you will, and lay some background or some foundational work uh, through Scripture so you'll understand where we're going for this whole series. And so the, the portions of Scripture that I'm getting read, ready to read to you, three or four portions of Scripture, are the backdrop. They are the foundation. They're the launching pad. And then I will come back here in just a few moments after I make some comments and read to you the text for today. So if you're wondering where we're going, that's where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, as we begin this series called Enemies, I want you to turn or at least follow along on the screen in Ecclesiastes. There's three portions of Scripture in this famous passage that speak to this. It, it starts like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Then in verse 3 it says, There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. And then the writer comes back in verse 8 and he says, There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Everybody say war. All right. David declared in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and then once again in Psalm chapter 18, he makes this interesting statement that we don't really, I don't think, fully comprehend, nor do we think about in relationship to our own life, but I think we need to grasp it this morning. I'm not going to read it to you, but he makes this statement. He said, God trained my hands for war. Uh, you can usually tell whose hands have been prepared for war because they're calloused and rough. And I look around now, and when I shake some of your hands, I recognize that we kind of got soft hands because we don't war enough. Amen. I don't have very many calluses on my hand. And I just think that what God is saying to us is that we've got to recognize the day that we live in, the, the season that we are in, the surroundings that we are finding ourselves in. This is a time for war. And so David says, you know what? God trains. He teaches our hands to war, and I'm asking him to do that during this season, during this series. We like to quote, Pentecostals like to quote Joel chapter 2. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, verse 28 is one of our favorite verses. It says, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Oh, come on, you know it if you're a good Pentecostal. You, know, you can quote this one in your sleep. You don't even have to think about it. You know what's going to happen in the last days. The only problem is, is we never turn to chapter 3 and discover why God needs to pour out His Spirit in the last days. Because in Joel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it reveals to us the surroundings that we're going to find our ourselves in the last days because it says this proclaim this among the nations prepare for a picnic no it says prepare for war rouse the warriors let all fighting men draw near and attack beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears let the weaklings say i am strong come on turn to your neighbor and say i'm strong this morning 
He's calling us to war. He's rousing us from our sleep. Then in Psalm chapter 119, verse 98, David makes another statement that I think is important because he says this. He says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. You've got to know the commands of God. You've got to know the word of God because God wants to make you wiser than your enemies. We've got to be smarter than they are. And we're going to talk more about that during this season, this series. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he makes this statement. He says, "Lest Satan should get an advantage over us or of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He is saying to us that if we don't know how the enemy of our soul works, if we're not wise enough to discern his schemes, wise enough to understand his attacks, wise enough to know his tactics, then what we've done is we've given the enemy an upper hand and an advantage over our life. And so he says, you got to know the enemy's schemes, attacks, his tactics, his strategies, so that you are smarter than he is. Right, And so this morning, we've got to get knowledge. We've got to understand. You know, that's why every government has an intelligence department. They're trying to gain an advantage over their enemy by obtaining information and knowledge. And Paul is saying to us, we've got to know, we've got to have enough information, we've got to have enough wisdom that we are uh, have an upper hand on our enemy because we know how he behaves. And so we're going to talk about some of that during this series. I just want to tell you this morning, I hate to burst your bubble, I hate to break it to you, but I came to tell you that like it or not, believe it or not, understand it or not, you have an enemy. I came to sound an alarm. I came to shake you a little bit and to rattle you a little bit and wake you up and to declare to you that this is not a time for peace, that we are smack dab right in the middle of a war. You are, whether you recognize it or realize it this morning, you are standing behind enemy lines. This is not a time to lay your sword down. This is not a time to take a break. This is not the hour to, to get lazy, to get sleepy, to get lethargic. We are right in the middle of a war. The enemy is still on task. The enemy is still on his job description, which is to kill, to steal, and to destroy us. That's what he wants to do. And so there are three ways that you can live your life. Uh, two are unhealthy. One is healthy. And we're going to talk about that for a moment because I want you to live your life the right way as a believer. There are three ways that you can live. The first is that we can live enemy oblivious. You can just think that life is a cakewalk and that it's a bed of roses and that nobody's ever going to not like you and that everything is going to go great and you can be completely oblivious to the enemy and then you wake up every morning and wonder why you're defeated and wonder why you're beat up and wonder why you're worn out. And the reason is, is there's an enemy out there. But you can be oblivious to that fact. That's not a healthy way to live, by the way. The second way that you can live, which is also not very healthy, is that you can live enemy-obsessed. You can think, man, I'm going to blame everything on the devil. When my kids act like me, I'm not going to take any responsibility. I'm just going to blame it on the devil. When my life doesn't go like I thought it should go, I'm going to blame it on the devil. When my car won't start in the morning, I'm not going to take a responsibility for not cleaning, cleaning the terminals on the battery. I'm going to blame it on the devil. And when the weather's not like I want it to be, I'm going to blame it on the devil. And when I don't get the raise at work, I'm going to blame it on the devil. And we can become enemy-obsessed where we think there's a demon behind every bush. I got news for you. There's not a demon behind every bush we just do stupid stuff sometimes and there's stupid consequences for stupid actions we can blame it on on the devil all we want to but a lot of times it's not the devil it's us 
we make our own choices, our own decisions, make our own act, do our own actions, and there are consequences to those actions. And you can try to blame it on the devil if you want to, but the reality is, is you just did something stupid, right? Like, man, I woke up this morning and I had a heartburn, and it, the devil is he's on the warpath. No, you ate pizza at 4 a.m., and it gave you heartburn. That's not the devil. Right. So so we got to you can you can become obsessed with the enemy and lose focus or you can live healthy and healthy is this. We live enemy conscious. We're aware that there is an enemy on the prowl. The Bible says that he's going to and fro trying to find who he can devour. We, we recognize that there is an enemy out there. We recognize that he does want to destroy us. We recognize this, that the enemy is not our friend. I got news for you this morning. The enemy doesn't like you. The enemy's never going to be your best bud. The devil hasn't come to some conclusion that now all of a sudden you're okay and I kind of like them. No, he still wants to kill you. He still wants to steal from you. And he's still bent on destroying you. And so we must be aware. We've got to recognize that we are not at peace. We are not at peace. We are at war. So we've got to become enemy conscious. We've got to know that he's there. Now, what surprises me in all of this is that we're surprised by the fact that we have an enemy. Uh, you know, if I, if I was going to travel a whole lot overseas, I would only fly in one airlines if I had my choice. I would fly on, on Israel's airlines. You know why, don't you? Because Israel has come to this place as a nation where they recognize that they are at war and they recognize that there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy them and to do them harm, and they're not surprised by that. In fact, they think that's normal. And so, therefore, they conduct themselves, they live as if there's an enemy all the time, and they're aware that there is an enemy, and they conduct business accordingly. That's what I'm saying to you. We should not be surprised by the fact that there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy us. Why should we not be surprised? Well, Jesus had enemies. Didn't he? Happened to be the religious folks. I won't go there. I don't have time. Sinners kind of liked him. Church folks kind of hated him. He had enemies. Shows you that your enemy can be anywhere, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, too. The disciples had enemies. If you don't believe that, go back and read how most of them died. They uh, they were bulled in oil. I never met a friend that let a friend bull in oil. But I, enemies will do that to you. Their enemies beat them and stoned them and crucified them and tortured them and threw rocks at them and spit on them. And then we freak out when somebody looks at us wrong. Why are we surprised by the fact that we have enemies? Somebody can give us this little number and we go nuts. We just lose it. We go into therapy for nine months because somebody didn't talk to me. Somebody at work gossiped about me. Somebody told a lie on me. Somebody rumored about me. Somebody did me wrong and and we freak out. Why are we freaked out by the fact that we have enemies? We should be aware. We should expect. It should be normal everyday life. For us to have enemies. Why? Because there's no way to avoid it. I got news for you. The gospel is offensive. 
I've got news for you this morning that, that Jesus is an offensive Savior. And if you're going to live according to God's word, and if you're going to live according to God's path, and if you're going to name the name of Jesus, you can't help it. You're going to offend somebody somewhere, sometime. That sounds like a song. I don't know. Somebody, some, okay. I think I've heard that song before. There are folks out there, we wished, I don't know why we're like this, but I just kind of wished, I, I don't tell y'all this, but I'm, I'm just going to tell myself this so y'all don't listen very close. I, I don't know why I wish this, but I wished everybody would root for me. I wished everybody would applaud for me when I'm successful. I wished everybody would party with me when I've achieved my destiny and my purpose. I wished everybody wanted me in their group and their clique and their club. I wished everybody was the founding member, my, a member of my fan club, but the reality is, is that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to root for you. Not everybody's going to applaud you. Not everybody's going to be happy when you're successful. Not everybody's going to be overjoyed when you're blessed because we have enemies. Now we got to remember that the Bible says that weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means that we don't operate by the same tactics and the same strategies as everybody else. And we don't fight each other, but we are mature enough to understand that the enemy is a spirit, and a spirit operates through people. And so if the enemy is going to destroy you, guess what he's going to use most of the time? People, friends, acquaintances, people you're in contact with. Oh, y'all are quiet in this house today. That's all right. I ain't the only one at war. Y'all in war too. You might as well wake up and recognize it. We are at war. And we shouldn't be surprised. Now, with all of that said, what I want to say to you is this. I, I am convinced, I believe that there is a doctrine. It's a deadly doctrine that is being shoved down our throats. And although our culture has embraced this doctrine... And although they are honing in on one territory to really promote this doctrine, the issue is that we have taken this cultural doctrine and we have brought it into our lives spiritually. And it is destroying us. And that is the doctrine of tolerance. I just came to inform you this morning that God has never been and will never be tolerant of his enemies. Oh, y'all supposed to love everybody. Y'all okay, I understand. I didn't say we hate anybody. I just said I just said that we got to come to this place where we're not as tolerant. Our culture is preaching to us that we've got to accept everything. And so what happens is this, we have brought that into the church and we've wrapped our spiritual lives around it to the place that Christians who used to blush over things now will buy those things and bring them into their house. I'm preaching real good right now all by myself. I'm up here by myself. Y'all left me alone. I'm just hanging out all by myself. And I'm telling you that some of the stuff that you bring and buy into your house, buy and bring into your house, used to, we wouldn't even think twice. What we used to battle now we barely even blink at. The only problem is, is that God is not tolerant like that, and God never tolerates enemies, and God will destroy his enemies, but we become so tolerant of sin that we, we're best buds with them now. What we used to distance ourselves from, now the discussion is no longer, see, this is how we used to talk. How far can I stay away from that stuff? 
That's what we used to ask. We used to talk about we're separate and we're holy and we don't look like them, act like them, talk like them, go where they go, sing what they sing, all that stuff. Now what we ask, the conversation has changed. Now what we ask is how close is too close? How close? How cl- can, I, can I just get up right to it and get as close as I can? When do I cross the line? And so I'm going to help you this morning discover. So let's deal with enemy appeal. First Samuel chapter 15 verses 1 through 5 says this. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of the heavens armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy. Y'all think God is tolerant of enemies? Listen to this little passage right here, this little nugget, this little hidden gem right here. Let's see how tolerant God is. He says, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies. Cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys, kill them all. But that, that doesn't fit into our little grace picture of Christ. I just don't know. I just don't know. That's God. This is his attitude towards enemies. He's not tolerant. I'm preaching right now, and y'all ain't liking it either. That's all right. Verse 4, so Saul mobilized his army at Telem. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his armies went down to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning, and he fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from, David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened, David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. And the man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead, and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. How do you know Saul and Jonathan are dead? David demanded of the young man. The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots and the charioteers closing in on him. And when he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. He responded, Who are you? I am an Amalekite, I told him. Then he begged me. Come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and want to die. So I killed him, the Amalekite told David, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband, and I brought them here to you, my Lord. Do I even have to preach? Because 
it's very easy to discern what happens in this passage of Scripture. What happens is that Saul became comfortable with his enemies. I just came to tell somebody here this morning, you've become way too comfortable with your enemies. You find yourself in the same place that Saul was. God spoke to Saul and said, kill them all. But he had become comfortable with his own enemies. Kind of reminds me of the story of Samson. The Bible says that Samson was so comfortable with his own enemy that he not only went and visited them, he would lay his head in the lap of his enemy. That's how comfortable he was with his enemy. See, you need to understand something this morning. I, I think that some of you have, have come to this place where you are so tolerant and so comfortable with your own enemy. You've got to understand that the enemy is not your friend and he isn't pulling any punches and he's out to kill you. He's not playing with you. This is not a game. His goal, his destiny, his purpose is to utterly and completely destroy your entire life. He wants to wreck your life. He's not pulling punches. And while he's trying to take off your head, you're just saying, well, let me just get through one Sunday to the next. Trying to knock him down. Instead, I just try to knock him down. No, you need to knock him completely out, take the sword and cut his head off. He's not playing with you. See, I am convinced this morning of a few things. I am convinced that we've become way too comfortable with lust. I'm just a man. That's the way I'm wired. I'm wired to lust. Cop out your enemy. You become comfortable with him. I am convinced that we become too comfortable with anger. Well, my father had a bad anger. The, my grandfather had bad anger issues and my family's been wrapped up in anger so I don't have any choice in the matter. I'm just going to be a person that has a terrible anger and if you look at me wrong, I'm going to come off. I'm going to come unglued and just wear you out because I'm an angry person. That's just the way I got to live. I'm just going to live this way the rest of my life. You're comfortable with the enemy. Some of you are comfortable with pornography. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm in the privacy of my own room. Nobody else knows. It's better than going out and having an affair. I'm just minding my own business. doesn't hurt anybody. You're comfortable. You're comfortable flirting at the edge of fornication and flirting at the edge of adultery and comfortable with those things that are assigned to destroy you. We become comfortable with laziness. <laughs> I knew that wouldn't, wouldn't go over very well. That's all right. I'm just going to tell you how it is. We're lazy, lazy, lazy in the body and out of the body. We come to church and soak and sour. We don't want to serve. Just let me come to church and disappear before anybody can talk to me. I don't want to serve. Lazy. We're lazy out there. We, wanna, we don't want to work, but we want to be paid. Ah, I'm preaching real good. Y'all are quiet this morning. Y'all might as well help me. I ain't letting you out. They've locked the door. You can't get out. Lazy. The Bible says that if you don't work, you don't eat. Got lazy kids. Come on, parents, help me out. I got. We got lazy kids. Well, they got. We got lazy kids because we got. Oh, I ain't, okay. I better get back to my notes. We become comfortable with the enemies of our soul. Comfortable with all kinds of things. Comfortable with vulgarity. Comfortable with violence, comfortable with injustice, comfortable with drunkenness, comfortable with carousing, drunk, comfortable with anger and hate and prejudice. We become comfortable with the enemies 
of our soul. I, I don't know about you, but the last time I read the book, we're supposed to be at war with those things. And yet we become so comfortable with them that we've begun to agree with our own enemy. Because our enemy's telling us, you will always be this way, and it's not that big of a deal, and it's not really hurting you, and we go, amen. And we agree with our own enemy to our own demise and our own destruction. I came to tell you that those things and those people that keep you involved in those things are not your friends. Well, they are your enemy. Well, they're just my buddies. These are my homies. Just my hanging out partners. You know what you need? A clue. Because, listen to me, I believe this with all of my heart. God makes assignments. He assigns people to a house. He assigns people to a destiny. He assigns people to their purpose. He assigns people to their calling. But just as much as God makes assignments, the enemy makes assignments. And some of you are hanging out with people that have been assigned to kill you. One man said this. I think this is powerful. He said, the enemy is anybody who's going to get you killed, no matter what side they're on. That means that some of you are hanging out with people from church. They're on the right side. I didn't say they weren't saved. But unbeknownst to them, they didn't even know they were doing it. They're keeping you trapped. They're keeping you addicted. They're keeping you dependent. They're keeping you from making forward movement. And at that moment, they are not your friend. They may be your brother, and they may be your sister, but they are not your friend. They are your enemy. And you've got to distance yourself. So let me answer, answer this question that I hear asked all the time. How close is too close? How close? Okay, let me answer it for you. When you begin to see an enemy as your friend, you're too close. When you begin to justify collateral damage, you're too close. When you begin to justify pain, you're too close. When you begin to justify backward movement, you're too close. And when you begin to justify bondage, then you are too close because the Bible says whom the Son sets free is supposed to be free indeed. So if this thing is bringing bondage into my life and is creating pain and collateral damage in my life and it's hurting folks, then I'm way too close. Our problem is that we just we want to kick it with who we've been called to kill. Just want to hang out. Too many of us have become more acquainted with our enemy than we are with our victory. We know all the characteristics of God, but we forget that we're supposed to live a victorious life. We sang it this morning, I'm not just a survivor, I'm an overcomer. That's how we're supposed to be living. Yet we become so comfortable in our own defeat and been, be, become so comfortable and acquainted with our enemy that we've forgotten that we're supposed to be victorious see uh, listen to me Saul's issue was not ability Saul's issue was not power Saul's issue was not authority because I want to remind you this morning that Saul had 210,000 soldiers and had already proven that he had more ability more power and more authority than the Amalekites 
He had already whipped them. His issue was not any of those things, power, authority, ability. His issue was obedience. And I just came to remind some of you that our issue is not power, and our issue is not authority, and our issue is not ability, because the Bible very clearly states that if we're walking with Christ, then we have the power to bind and the power to loose. We have life in our tongue and death in our tongue. There's something in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lives and operates in us, so therefore we must have all the power and all the authority and all the ability that we need. Therefore, if we're not defeating our enemies, it must not be a power, authority, ability issue. It must be a obedience issue. Listen to what I read to you. They destroyed everything except what appealed to them. Can I just share with you this morning that most likely, I'm going to help somebody right here, stay with me. Most likely, your enemy is going to look good to you. Most likely, the thing that the enemy has, has assigned to destroy and devastate your life will be extremely attractive to you. That's why in the New Testament, the Bible says everything is lawful. It's going to look good. You might have a good time doing it. But not everything is expedient. Because not everything that's lawful is good for you. It may destroy you. It may be a trick from the enemy to destroy you. It may be on an assignment to ruin your life. And so you have to discern. I just want to ask you a question this morning. What enemy would you have already destroyed in your own life if you weren't attracted to it? What in your life do you like that is destroying you and you can't seem to give it up because I like this thing. The question is not whether you like this thing. The question is whether this thing is killing you. We become attracted to the very things that destroy us and we refuse to kill them. You've got to discern your enemy and then you need to destroy your enemy. You need to quit allowing the things to stay alive that you were instructed to kill. And here's why. Here is why. Because what you refuse to kill will kill you. I read to you out of the scripture. I didn't make it up. Saul had become so comfortable with the enemy that he refused to follow the instructions of God, and now he's out on the battlefield facing a different enemy. Notice, he's not fighting the Amalekites. He's fighting the Philistines. And all of a sudden, he realizes that he's going to be defeated. Imagine that. See, a lot of times we're defeated because we didn't deal with the first enemy we were assigned to kill. And if we would have dealt with the first one, then the second one wouldn't have as much power and ability over us, but we didn't deal with the first one correctly. So now he finds himself on a battlefield about to be defeated, and this young man walks up to him, and he says, go ahead and kill me because I, I, I'm not going to win this. Who are you? One of the most powerful passages of Scripture, I think, because there's revelation here. He says, I'm an Amalekite. <laughs> hmm. Who was I supposed to kill? Oh, that's right. I was supposed to kill them all. Now, two months later, two years later, two decades later, I'm still fighting the same battle, and this thing is going to kill me that I refuse to kill. I got news for you this morning. What you fail to deal with decisively ultimately will decisively deal with you. So my question for you this morning is this. What did God say 10 years ago about that relationship you're still involved in? What did God say six months ago about the addiction you're fighting? 
What did God say six weeks ago about your attitude and your activities? If you don't kill those things when God gives you the instructions to do so, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not even happen next year, but ultimately, you mark my word, at some point in your life, if you don't go and destroy those things that God instructed you to destroy, they will come back and they will destroy you. So we have to remain faithful to do what God said to do. Some of you have been asking yourself some questions like this. Why am I still in the same season? Why am I still fighting the same battles? Why am I fighting the same temptations and struggling with the same issues? I want you to understand that your season will not change until the enemy in the present season is destroyed. Let me say it like this, same enemy equals same season. New enemy equals new season. You don't get to go to a new season until you destroy this, the enemy that was positioned in that season. And I can prove it to you. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Israelites were given a promised land. They crossed the Jordan. They come to Jericho, first enemy. So they, they, they think they're too strong, too, too powerful, and they bypass Jericho, don't deal with Jericho, and they move into the promised land, and they live happily ever after. Uh, got anybody that knows their Bible in here? That's not how it worked, was it? What did they do at Jericho? They stopped there and beat that enemy before they go deeper into the promised land. Because you can't go deeper into the promised land until you deal with the enemy that you meet first. There is a first enemy in some of your lives that you've never dealt with and you've never moved deeper into your destiny or your promise or your call because you haven't stopped long enough to deal with the first enemy of your life. Your season will not change until you deal with the root enemy of your life and destroy it. So, I'm calling you to discern the enemies of your life, I'm asking you to look past their attractiveness because most of us, our enemy looks good to us. <laughs> I just rem remembered this. Is it any surprise that all the TV commercials that paint pretty pictures of things that are destined to destroy us never show us the end result? Oh, they don't ever show you the guy draped over the toilet bowl puking his guts out. They show him dancing and having a good time with cute things all around him. They don't ever show you the devastation that invades a household when the guy walks in with lipstick on his collar and his wife is sitting there waiting on him. They don't ever show you that because the enemy is attractive to us. But there's a time to kill. Some of you have some things in your life that God spoke to you about decades ago to destroy those. And I am calling you to lose the attractiveness and discern who enemies really are and to destroy them once and for all before they destroy you. How do we do that? Three things quickly and I'm going to be done. Number one, we destroy our enemies by positioning them for destruction. Well, what does that mean? That means get their influence out of your life. 
cut them off. Distance yourself from them. We've got to come to this place in our life that we get to Luke chapter 11, verse 23, where you examine people and you examine things and you examine habits and you examine activities and you ask this, you, you come to this conclusion uh, that, that we find in Luke eleven twenty three, 23, which says this, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. See, most of our problems is that most of us have people working against us and we don't have enough discernment to recognize that they're working against us and we actually think they're friends and that they're helping us. And then God sends people to help us and because we don't have enough discernment, we think they're trying to hurt us. And we don't understand the difference. He's saying that what we ought to do is we ought to have enough discernment to figure out who's opposing us, who isn't working with us, and then we mark them as what they really are, their enemies, and we cut them off. I dismiss them from my life. I delete their phone number out of my cell phone. I go to Facebook and I unfriend them. I don't listen to them because I recognize that they're the enemy of my life and they'll just have to get over it. That was Samuel's response when he comes back and confronts Saul. He says, what have you done? And Saul begins to make excuses and Samuel wouldn't tolerate enemies. He marched Agag, the king, right out in front of everybody and he cut his head off. He positioned him for destruction. I'm telling you that some of you need to position some relationships for destruction. You need to cut them off. Well, that wouldn't be very nice. This is war. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Don't answer their call. Don't read their mail. Delete their email. Delete their Facebook. Get away from them. Don't hang out with them. Well, they won't like me. They don't like you anyway. What they like is the fact that you are in the same place they are. And at the, the second lesson is that we pass them. I can help you figure out who your enemies are real quick. You want me to? Uh, let me do that for you. Can I? Let me tell you who your enemies are. Those that don't want you to grow. Those that are comfortable, are, are, are comfortable and want you to be comfortable with your present condition. Those are your enemies. Because at the moment that you begin to grow, the moment that you begin to pray, the moment you begin to read your Bible more, the moment that you want to attend church more rather than less, the moment that you refuse to sleep in, the moment that you try to move forward in a progressive movement with God, at that moment they will begin to holler and they will begin to complain and they'll begin to lie on you and they'll begin to ridicule you and make fun of you because your forward movement is an indictment against their laziness who your enemies are anything or anybody that provides you the opportunity to stop growth and uh, and offers you the the opportunity or the means to be distracted are your enemy so how do we deal with them we position them for destruction and then we pass them we keep growing even though they're not growing we keep reading even though they're not reading we keep praying even though they're not praying we keep coming to church even though they're not going to church we we keep living our life in a forward mo- mo- uh, movement and that reveals to us who they are and the second thing is is that our growth diminishes their control 
over us. If you would just grow, some of you would outgrow your enemies. Your enemy has control over you because you're just as mature spiritually as they are. You're just as jacked up as they are. If you would just grow and mature just a little bit, you would outgrow them and you would recognize them for who they are and it would diminish the control over them, over you that they have. And then the third thing that we've got to do is we position them for destruction. We pass them by. And then thirdly, thirdly we pray for them. That's weird. I I wish Jesus hadn't said this in Matthew 5. I I wished he had just kind of hit the edit button and clipped this part out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. I don't like that verse. In fact, I just want to edit just, let me read the whole thing and then let me edit the way I wished he would have edited it. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now let me do my edit. I like my edit better anyway. Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. Here's how I would have edited it. But I say unto you. I could have lived with that. That would have been easy to deal with. But no, Jesus goes on and he says, okay, bless them. You want to destroy your enemies? Bless them. When they are ridiculing you and making fun of you and hate your guts and working overtime, some, listen, I know where some of you live. you got folks working overtime to destroy you. You want to destroy them? Bless them. Bless them. Pray for them. Notice it didn't say hang out with them. Say spend all your time with them. Doesn't say reveal your deepest, darkest secrets to them. Doesn't say it doesn't say expose your back to them. It says pray for them. What are we supposed to pray? We're supposed to pray that God will allow them to see the growth in us, and our growth will spark something in them, and they will no longer be an enemy, but a friend. By the way. Just as a caveat, no guarantees. They may never be your friend. But you still have to pray for them. So we destroy our enemies by positioning them. We cut their influence off of our life. We pass them by. I keep growing even though they're fighting my growth. I refuse to be distracted. I refuse to stop growth. I refuse to stop the things that I know will mature me in the Lord. Hate me if you want to. I ain't stopping. But while I'm doing that, I'll be in my closet praying for you. That will destroy your enemies every time because now they have no power over you. So, Father, this is my prayer this morning. Don't let us become tolerant and comfortable with our enemies. even if they're attractive. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. There are folks under the sound of my voice that their enemies are extremely appealing and we find ourselves leaving those things alive that you called us to destroy because they appeal to us. 
God, I pray that we would move past what appeals to us and we would begin to walk in obedience to what you've called us to do. Because we understand this morning, Father, some of us are fighting the same fights that we fought 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five months ago, because we have failed to obey you And what we had refused to kill is now coming back on us and is trying to kill us. God, I pray that you would increase in us a violent faith. A faith that is unwilling to become comfortable with with the opposition of our soul. That is a, a violent faith that is willing to just sit idly by while we're being destroyed. No, I pray that we would rise up and we would unsheath our sword and we would start swinging. And we would literally destroy anything, anyone that is fighting us and causing us to move backwards. Give us discernment. God, I'm praying right now over my folks, over the people under the sound of my voice, over those watching by the Internet right now. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the gift of discernment again into the body of Christ. I pray that we would be able to tell who's helping and who's hurting And we would not get the two confused. We would open up our eyes and discern who are our enemies. Father, I pray that we would position them correctly. I pray that you would cause the folks sitting here listening today to feel compelled to go home and get their cell phone out and get rid of some numbers. I pray that the people under the sound of my voice would go home and start hitting the unfriend button on Facebook because what they write on their Facebook causes a spiritual reaction in me and I find myself discouraged or scared or frightened or distressed or angry by what they wrote. So I've got to recognize they're an enemy and I position them correctly. I cut their influence off out of my life. Father, I pray that we would pass them. We would continue to grow, continue to mature. Continue to praise, continue to pray, continue to read, continue a growth path that passes me by them. And I pray that this body would become a body of prayer where we don't talk bad about our enemies. We don't fight with the same tactics and strategies and try to defend ourselves. But instead, we read all of Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, which says that we bless them. And we pray for them. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.